Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. I'm really, really keen that uh, we, uh, what we see tonight is Jesus, you know. Um, I'm just, I'm just really, anyone really hungry for more? Anyone, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure about that? Anyone really hungry just to, to go beyond the kind of cognitive response of like, oh yeah, no, yeah, I understand that. Yeah, totally, yeah, I've heard that before, I kind of get that. Um, and we kind of settle for the, you know, when, when I kind of feel like I get it. When I feel like, yeah, I could tell somebody else about that, you know. And we settle for that. And, we, and in church, man, we talk about crazy stuff. We talk about the stuff about God that is just a flat mystery. You know, the, it's full on more than we can comprehend, you know. And we go, oh, yeah, 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 sure, yeah, Jesus, totally. Rose from the dead. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Yeah, wicked, brilliant. Um, you know, and, we, and we talk about these kind of things. And um, I just really want us to, because this is what I'm saying for myself, for my own heart. Um, I don't want to settle for that. You know, even 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 like in worship, you know, you get that that fuzzy feeling. Ah, like, oh, it's the peace of God. It's like a it's like wafting. God, Jesus, Jesus wafting me. Isn't that lovely? You know, and we kind of settle for the waft uh, rather than actually lean into the the fullness of what He's got for us. And let's lean in tonight. Is that cool? And um, it's not. This isn't. You know, I, I I genuinely I'm I'm an optimist, and I'm um, an idealist. Uh, so forgive me for that, but I, I genuinely see that the, there's never just another service. There's never just another gathering. There's never just another time that we, you know, turn up at church and sing a few songs and hear a few words. Um, every moment is an opportunity for God to break through. Every moment is an opportunity for God to literally rend the heavens and come down. And so I want to I want to posture myself with that kind of expectation. Is that okay if we kind of if we do that together? Um, who was who was at Shaston this morning? A few people. Hi, hi guys. Um, we're going to touch very briefly on some of the stuff that we did. So the Shaston guys, bless them. It's like triple whammy today. I'm really sorry about that. Um, but you've got good faces, and um, I'm sure you can forgive me. We're going to think tonight about um, we're kind of continuing the theme of the kingdom of God, and I really wanted us to. Probably because I'm into worship and stuff. I wanted to focus on the King of the Kingdom. I wanted us to look at Jesus, and um, uh, you know, the, we're gonna. This is gonna kind of come up through through the talk tonight. But the, the the kind of the key the key thing about Jesus um, and and worship, kind of the heart of worship, is that we see Him for who He is. That's absolutely the key in worship. Is that we see him for who he is? We recognise his his beauty and his value and the fullness of who he is. Um, very much, in, in, in many ways, sin is the kind of antithesis of that action of that posture, because uh, sin is like you know, trading God and trading His glory, as it says in Romans, for images of men, animals, and reptiles. And so, if you if you don't recognise the value of something, and you're willing to trade it for something that's not worth very much. That's actually the, the heart and the root of sin when it comes to God. And so worship very much is about saying, do you know what, Jesus, I want to see you for who you are. I want to see your value and your, the weight of who you are, your, your worth. 
You know, that's because he's the worship. Worship. Makes sense. Cool. Go home. Done. Drop the mic. Um, you can't drop these mics. It's well annoying. No dramatic exits. Like, I'm just looking like Madonna kind of <laughs> mincing off the stage. Um, <clears throat> so we're going to look at um, uh, the king of the kingdom. And specifically, what we're going to look at tonight, t- tonight is three layers that are pretty much the same layers. So I'm going to say the same thing three times, but in three different ways that hopefully paint the picture of what it looks like when you take the king out of the kingdom. Okay? I want us to recognise, I want us to learn to be people who are like the watchmen on the walls, who recognise what's happening in the spirit, who discern what's happening around us, who discern the season that we're in, discern um, the, the nearness of Jesus, not only just for us in our personal lives, but for us in our church, and in our city, and in our nation. Does that make sense? Um, <clears throat> I have here a box of Krispy Kreme donuts. Can I get ale? Yes, mate. Um, I'm going to stick my chewing gum on the first page and hope that doesn't cause me trouble. Um, <laughs> I love Krispy Kreme donuts. In this box, I know there is a bounty of sugary goodness wrapped around dairy stuff that makes me feel nice inside. Um, these are my donuts. <laughs> they belong to me. I purchased them in Tesco this afternoon. Um, these belong to me. These are my donuts. I own these donuts. Yeah, I know what is going on with these donuts. Okay? I understand that there is goodness. It's a box of circular goodness. Just there. Wow. I love it. Now, the issue is there's a huge difference between owning these donuts and possessing these donuts. What do you think the difference is? Eating them. So, <laughs> just because I can. <sighs> there is nothing wrong with that, is there? That is so good. That, that's possessing the donut. That it doesn't matter how much I understand about its packaging, its content, its sugar content, um, which I probably should take a bit more attention to. There's nothing like taking a bite. And that's like Jesus. Because <laughs> I just wanted to eat a donut. Um, because we, we have, you know, many of us have been around church long enough, and even if you haven't, even if you're really new to the idea of church, you, you're probably aware of some of the, the packaging, aren't you? You're probably aware that there are kind of presets, you know, there are rules, there are the way that you do stuff. There are things to do. Turning up at church tonight is one of them. You know, singing songs, yay! Uh, reading the Bible, praying, doing all the kind of stuff that Christians do, talking about Jesus. Having kind of floppy arms when you talk to people. Yeah, hi, yeah, hi, I'm Christian, hi, 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 yeah, that's great. Um, <laughs> you know, there are things about being a Christian that you kind of, even if you've not been around church a lot, you will know. Okay, There's, it's, it's kind of the packaging, it's the stuff that is around the packaging. And the, the, the thing I really want us to kind of pull out tonight is, is what, what it looks like when we, when we settle for the packaging and we don't eat the donut. When we settle for the shape of church and the religion of church, but we don't encounter Jesus. 
Um, are you excited about that? Yeah. Oh, yes. Great, 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 great. Um, so we're going to look at this first, the first thread that we're going to look at. We're going to look at three threads. The first thread that we'll look at is going to be the empty throne. The empty throne. And um, I want us to look at this because um, it, it is, it's, it's kind of, it's the, the way of look at, looking at church and, and not eating the donut. Um, back in the day, in the olden times, um, you can imagine, you know, the whole of Israel's history groaning and aching for this time when the Messiah would come, when they would come and sort it all out and make them a great nation. They were waiting for this moment. Um, and up rocks this bloke who started as a baby, learned to make some chairs, and then walked around with his holy hand. I don't know if Jesus had a hovering hand. Like people, oh, holy hand. Um, but he, uh, you know, he walked around doing a bunch of stuff, healing people, chatting, turning tables over, getting his whip out, and doing all the stuff that we read about that Jesus did. And um, there's this crazy, massive deal whereby that guy dies on the cross, he raises from the dead, he shows himself, he presents himself to, I think it's 500 people, isn't it, between resurrection and ascension. He goes, hi, I present myself. I'm Jesus, I'm risen. And um, he presents himself to people, goes off, and you've got this crazy thing where they're in the process of putting it all together. Like, hang on. We've been waiting for the Messiah. This has come, but he, he talked about himself as being the I am, of being God. And he, he, he died, and we thought that was it, but then he rose from the dead. And he talked about a throne that he'd be seated on, and that he, that's where he was going, that he would leave a gift for us, that he would be in us. And how does that work? And they're working this out, and as they're doing that, they're essentially defining for the first time Christology. That Jesus was, yeah, fully man, but also he was fully God. That's a big leap. That's a big leap. But that's what they were doing. And so the early church, a lot of what was going on in, in there in terms of building theology was this, this basic worship principle of recognizing Jesus for who he is. Isn't that cool? And that's what they were doing. Um, now in the yeah, third and fourth centuries and that kind of stuff, you've got all these different kind of uh, Christological heresies. You know, basically, people getting it pretty wrong in terms of who Jesus really is. Um, and so, in response to that, there's a few different groups of people who got together. So we just we just need to nail this. We need to define this. And so, we have these creeds. We have the Apostles' Creed. We have the Nicene Creed. We have the uh, Chalcedonian Creed. Um, all these different creeds. And what they're trying to do, they're trying to, do, they're trying to help articulate Jesus was fully human and he was fully God and he died for us that we could be saved. And that's what they were trying to articulate. And so that's really good. And I want us to read the creed together just to remind ourselves what's in it. And, and I, want us to, I want to celebrate that for a moment um, before we move on. Is that okay? So why don't we stand up like we do in the Anglican Church? <laughs> this brings back memories. 
And we're going to say this together. I'm going to put my glass on, otherwise there may be more heresy. <laughs> okay. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen. Thanks. Take a seat. That's cool, isn't it? Don't worry if, you know, we're not saying that we're a Catholic church. Um, it's a small C. <laughs> uh, it's just about being one church, being together, being a family together. Um, I could see that, but I can't see any of you with those ones. Um, because of how and why that was formed as an idea and as a statement, what's really interesting about it, what's missing from that? Any ideas? What's missing from that? Just talked about him being born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, died, was crucified, was buried, ascended, descended to the dead, third day rose again, he ascended into heaven. What's missing from that story, from that narrative, from that picture? Say again, sorry? He left heaven in the first place, yeah, the, the kind of the, the pre-story. Um, I mean, it talks about him being... Um, uh, the Son of God, the only Son of God. So there's this kind of pointing to uh, the divinity and the pre-existence and that kind of stuff. I would, I would want to venture an idea that missing from that is all the good stuff in the middle. That Jesus did, did more than pop out and then go to the cross. Jesus, he grew up in a Jewish tradition. He ate with sinners. He partnered with the poor. He loved his mum. He served his friends. He chose to suffer over being famous. He chose obedience over status. He calmed storms. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He challenged the system. He loved the last, the least, and the lost. John Stott in his book, The Cross of Christ, there's so much kind of like theology in, in, in that book, and you kind of... Tr- trudge your way through it a little bit. It is amazing, but it's kind of, it's, whew, you know, it's hard work. But you get to the end of it, and there's this little window into this guy's heart. This guy who's studied theology his whole life and just blessed the world with books upon books and ideas upon ideas. And um, just at the end of his book, he, um, he says this one little thing that just kind of sh- shone with, I think, uh, the kind of more than the theology, but just the kind of the romance of this guy who really understands him. He's got a brain like a planet. Um, but there's just the romance. He said this, he, he talked about Jesus as being a king who put aside immunity to suffering. That's my king. And we see something in the life of Christ 
that points us to a broader narrative, that points us to a bigger picture, that points us to um, not just uh, fire insurance, you know, a ticket to heaven rather than to hell. It actually points us to a kingdom within which we can really, truly live. And I'm excited by that. When we look at the cross in of itself, I think often we have, we've talked about this a little bit this morning, often we've taken what is a very rich and textured picture and we've taken a very small part of it and made it the whole picture. You know, we, uh, just, just in that, that the whole narrative is based around the idea that he has died for us so that we can have our sins forgiven. And it's right that we have an idea and an understanding and a picture of God as judge. You know, the scene is the courtroom and God is the judge and we have been charged with the, the most heinous offence and our punishment is death and Jesus comes and he pays the price. He pays the ransom and he makes a way for us to live. That's amazing, isn't it? What a beautiful story. And if we take that, like anything, we're talking about this this morning, if we take that, uh, like anything, if you, if you make something so loud uh, that it becomes distorted, uh, that's, I think that, that, that can be a real issue. And actually we can see that in so many church traditions that they've taken one kind of image or one idea of the cross and have just cranked up the volume to the point where it's like, whoa, we're actually struggling to hear everything else that's going on. Um, if we take the idea of God as judge and we push it to its nth degree... Part of the problem that we get is that it alters who we are. You know, as I said before, that the, what the kind of focus of, of worship is to understand God for who he is and to experience for whom he is and to, to understand his value and, and to know who he is. One of the beautiful things that happens as we do that is that we begin to see who we are in him. And so if we have a smaller idea of who God is, we end up with actually a smaller idea of who we are. And if we push that idea of of God being judged to the nth degree, we end up being just the criminal that got off. Yeah, we're, just, we're still a criminal, we've just got to go away with it. You know, and, and we, uh, the, the problem with that is that we can, we can be grateful for that, kind of like, wow, phew, thanks, <laughs> really grateful, that's amazing, and, and we, can, we, can have, you know, we can experience and know the genuine gratitude of that, uh, but again, if we push it to its nth degree, what we can find is that we start from a motivational point that's, that's misplaced. So we, because the first, because when you, because you can't go for very long without living life, <laughs> without interacting with other people, without making decisions and choices about your finances and your, uh, your career and whatever it is that you're doing, your family and all that kind of stuff. And, and the issue with that is that immediately, without even trying, you're part of, a, of an ethical matrix. You're part of a kind of a right and wrong thing. And so you, you try to navigate that. And what's, what's difficult is if we do that from the place that still says, I'm still the criminal. So prob- probably I don't deserve to have loads of fun. So I should just get my head down and, and, and be holy pursue righteousness and be militant about it. And, you, and you, you feel that, don't you, in some church traditions that just focus solely on this. And, and you feel like to belong in that place, you've got to get it right. You've got to say the right things, do the right thing. I'm so grateful that Ivy isn't the kind of place where I've got to get it right the whole time because I'd be sacked. I'd have been sacked in the first day. 
you know what I'm saying? Dan knows what I'm saying. He was there on the first day. He's like, mm, awkward. Um, but what, what I believe about this is that we can actually find a place where our expression of faith isn't a prerequisite to faith. You know, that, that our choices in life and our getting things right isn't a prerequisite to my faith. Rather, they're an expression of my faith. And, and just as Pete quoted before, that, that beautiful um, scripture from, from Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, and because of everything that he's done, then offer yourselves. It's a response of gratitude. Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world any longer, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to know, prove and attest God's good, pleasing and perfect will. And that whole, that whole pursuit of holiness and righteousness is born out of a place of total response and gratitude and love for the one that saved us. Um, as, as, as just a what else would I do with my life rather than a I should probably try and do well for God to like me because I'm really just the criminal that got away with it another picture of God is the idea of God as king he's the king, he's the king of the kingdom and there's two things about this I'm going to go a little bit faster because I'm realising I'm a total blagger when it comes to chatting I can chat for a while um, <laughs> uh, God is king um, this is, this, there's two things to do with this. It means, firstly, he's established the kingdom. He's established, as I say, the framework for us to live and to live well and to live fully. Um, but also, it's the reality that, and this is what we don't talk about very much, is that to, in order to do that, he had to go and trudge into hell and take back the keys of the kingdom from Satan himself. And we have an enemy. We have an enemy. And I think when we... Uh, shy away from this idea of the, of the king and the kingdom, actually what we do, we give permission. Have you ever seen Usual Suspects? Uh, and there's a great quote in there, Kaiser Soze, who's the villain. It's this big twist at the end. And, and he says that the, the greatest trick that the devil ever pulled was convincing people that he didn't exist. I was uh, chatting with Anthony in the office the other day. And I was going, mate, 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 you've been a copper for a little while and stuff. Like, How do you kill someone and get away with it? So I don't know why I ask these questions. I'm not, I'm not planning, to, I'm not planning to, to top anyone off or anything like that. But he just, what I loved was without, without thinking, without, without missing the beat, he just went, bullet of ice. Bullet of ice. No forensic evidence. Shoot them. Kills them. It melts. It's gone. Awesome. I was like, that's amazing. He totally knows how to kill. I'm like, is that good? I don't know how I feel about the fact that you know how to kill me and get away with it. Um, it's a bit awkward, but I'm sure he won't because he's a lovely guy. Um, big arms as well. But he, um, <laughs> um, but I, I, that, I think if we don't understand that we have an enemy, we almost allow Satan to be that, that ice bullet that goes through us. It's like, what the heck was that? And and we, because we're nervous of being the kind of Christian that sees a devil under every stone, we don't actually call it what it is. And we don't actually stand then in the reality that Jesus has defeated Satan. That he is the king. That he's made a way. And we can stand in that triumph. We can stand in that truth. And so it's important, as I say, not just to see uh, you know, the devil under every stone, but to recognize that we have a king. 
and he has won. That the enemy is defeated, that it is finished. And we can stand in that truth. Third idea is the idea of God as physician. You know, that sin is more than, oh, whoops, I did it again. You know, good old, what's the name? Britney Spears. <laughs> hey. Um, <laughs> um, but it, it's the reality that sin is, is, is a disease. It's the worst disease. And it leads to death every time. But Jesus, again, as the great physician, has made a way and he has fully healed us. And not only that, he's made, he's made the way of healing open to us. And I know that is a huge mystery. It's a, it's a, it's a huge mystery. I mean, I've seen the most tragic things. I've seen the most glorious things. Um, but as we were singing before, you know, I've, I've got to still believe that God is good. I've got to still trust that he's good. And although... You know, on, on that great and final day, there will be a line drawn and he'll say, no more tears, no more sadness, no more suffering, no more pain. Um, the truth is, for now, in this age, that's, that's a truth that's being inaugurated, to use a, a, a theological term in terms of the inauguration of God's kingdom. It's a truth that is, has begun and is, is here now, but is also then there. Um, I think the one of the, the best ways maybe I could set, talk about it is that we are his bride. Um, and our eyes are set on the day of Christ when we'll be married to him. Um, for now, we're engaged. You know, the Holy Spirit is that promise, that guarantee. It's the engagement ring. Um, and so, in as much as the, when you're engaged, you belong to that person, there's, you know, there's, this, that's not going to change. Um, there's, there's a difference between the time as, that you're engaged as a couple and the time that you're married as a couple. Does that make sense? And this is our engagement. You know, this living here right now is our engagement. And I think within that, there's that mystery of the, as I say, that the kingdom of God being something that's in, inaugural. So, um, I think what's important in this in this age, within that context, in terms of understanding God as our great physician, is to also recognize that we don't worship God on the basis of whether or not he answers yes to all of our prayers. Um, we worship God again because of who he is. Um, it's kind of like a Job thing, isn't it? That's what, that's what Satan challenged with Job, was he says, Job only worships you because you give him nice things. And take it all away and he'll curse the ground that you stand on. And um, he doesn't. You know, some horrific stuff happens and Job still has to, well, still chooses really to make that declaration and starts that God is still holy, God is still good. Um, I mean, there's a whole load of nuance in Job, but uh, I think that's a really um, a vital idea for us um, that as we think about the kingdom of God, that there is... Um, it's, it's, it's something that is, is genuinely here, but there's the mystery of it's still coming. Has that made sense? Um, and finally, um, the idea of, of God as Father. So he's our perfect Father. And, and, and this is all about what it means to be his children, that, that he has uh, put upon us a spirit of adoption. 
Um, I love that, that verse in, in, in 1 John, uh, verse th- uh, chapter 3, I think it is, um, where it says, How great is the love that the Father has lavished upon us that we would be called his children, because that is what we are. That's what we are. And I think what's important about this is this is the lens that we see everything else through. So when we think about the kingdom of God and what he's established and what he's established on the cross, is that um, almost like the, the what of it is about that he's, he is the, the, the judge who has made it all right. He's, he's established justice. And he's made it all right. He's made it a way for us to be forgiven for our sins. That he is the, the king who has established the kingdom and defeated the enemy. That he is the great physician who has dealt with the, 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 the disease of sin and, and made a way for, for heaven to be open to us. Um, but the why is because he's our dad. He wants his kids back. That's the why. And we can't truly understand any of those other things unless we get the big why. That he loves us. That he wants to draw us to himself. And, and that and very much is what the, the kingdom is all about. He's creating a space where we can encounter him. Make a space where we can dwell with him. Does that make sense? Okay. We're going to... Um, we're going to zip through the next... That was the first one of three. Hello. But we're going to zip through the other two. I just wanted to establish that because I think that idea of the whole picture, the whole image is really, really important for us. Um, so the next thread we're going to layer into this is the idea of um, the tabernacle, the place that God calls home. Um, and for Israel, this was literally a tent. The tabernacle is a tent. And it was literally the place where God dwells. Um, the, um, the presence of God in that space was vital because it, it affected the demography of the whole nation. Everything, everything was geared around the kind of physical position of, of that tabernacle. It's, like a, it's not a great analogy, but it's kind of like a TV. Now, everything about a TV is positioned and organised to frame this picture. All the circuitry and everything like that is all position in such a way to, for the glory of the image. Does that make sense? And right in the middle of the, the, um, the, the, the nation of Israel was, was, was the, 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 this mercy seat, this, this gold box wrapped in acacia wood with cherubim on the top, and um, there was this uh, place where God dwelled. And the... the, the um, the Greek word for the tabernacle was skinu, which is kind of, I don't know, skinu sounds like an Australian sled or something, doesn't it? Skinu. Um, and God actually, God's physical presence in that space was called the Shekinah, which is the dwelling presence of God. So you've got the skinu with the Shekinah. Say it with me. The skinu with the Shekinah. Great. And that, that, was, that was the tabernacle. Um, I just want to read to you what happened when they finished building the tabernacle. Um, this is from Exodus chapter 4. It says, Then he hung the curtains uh, forming the courtyard around the tabernacle and the altar. And he set up the curtain at the entrance of the courtyard. So at last Moses finished the work, finished the tabernacle. Um, the Lord's glory fills the tabernacle. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle and the glory of the Lord was filled. Uh, glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could no longer enter the tabernacle because the cloud had settled over it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now, whenever the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out on their journey and following it. But if the cloud did not rise, they remained where they were until it lifted. 
cloud of the Lord hovered over the tabernacle during the day, and at night fire glowed inside the cloud so the whole family of Israel could see it. This continued throughout their journeys. Now, the presence of God leads the people of God to the promises of God. This tent with a cloud and fire in it at night literally led them through the wilderness, through the experience of Sinai, all the way to the edge of the River Jordan and into the Promised Land. And I'm, I can't say this strongly enough, that I'm, if we really want to go somewhere in our lives as a church, we can't go without God. We can't go without his presence. You know, Moses said, don't, you know, if you're not going to go with us, we, we don't want to leave. We want you to come with us. And um, the, the, the presence of God in that space was vital because it was everything for that community in terms of being able to be right with God, to be in a space of worship, uh, to um, not only that, but to be led to a place of promise, to go from the hand-to-mouth existence um, of, the, of the wilderness with, with the man on the ground to actually an agricultural exponential existence of the promised land where they could plant and not just feed themselves but actually feed their family and their community and everyone around them. Does that make sense? So that's the, that's the tabernacle. It was, it was absolutely central to the people of Israel. Um, the second tabernacle is this. Jesus. And it says, So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's Son, the only Son. The glory of the one and only. What I love about this is that when it says that he came and he dwelt among us, came and it says in, in um, um, uh, the, uh, the message, and it says that he, he, he put on flesh you know, and, and moved into, he moved into the neighborhood. Um, when it says that he did that, the, the word that it literally uses is the same word, skanum, tabernacle. He came and he made his tent among us. He made his dwelling among us. What's also really cool is that when it says, and we have seen the glory, the glory of the one and only, the word that's used is Shekinah, not Chavad or any of these other words to describe God's glory, but specifically Shekinah because it means his dwelling presence. So Jesus is a picture of the tabernacle of God with us. The Emmanuel with us. And he's, I think John's so deliberate in using those specific words because he's painting a picture of something's changed here. Something's changed here. You know, as I said, as they're working out, man, is this guy really God? So as he begins his letter to, to, to tell people the story of who Jesus is, he, he talks about this. And, and all, you know, if you were Jewish, you would have gone like, whoa, he's the what? <laughs> he's the skinu with the tabernacle and the thing in the Shekinah and all that stuff, whoa. And that would have been a huge deal. And so it's really, it's really vital to see kind of who Jesus is in terms of God with us, um, that he made his tent among us, made his dwelling among us, and he was, and he's there, God fully there in his dwelling presence. And then finally, the final tabernacle is, is, is us, it's the bride of Christ. It's the bride of Christ. Um, I love in, in Ezekiel 47, it gives us a picture of uh, a prophecy of something that I don't, think, I don't know how much he would have understood at the time, but he talked about a river that came out from the altar that broke out of the temple and out of the city walls and went out to the, to the ocean. That, um, by that river were trees that um, bore fruit in and out of season. They bore fruit every month. I've got a tree in my back garden. It literally 
chucks out a few apples in, 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 in October and that's about it. But like, imagine a tree that gave fruit every single month and that, that life came wherever that river went and, and the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. All this kind of life springing up. And um, what's beautiful is, is that um, when we think about us and the church, that's what he was talking about. Joel, Joel talked about it in those days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. You know, that river is a sign of God's spirit breaking out of the temple, breaking out of the old construct, breaking out of the box. Um, and this is what it says about it in, um, in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, 22. It says this, So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house. We are his tabernacle, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together with him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling, where God lives by his spirit. So that's it, we, we are the tabernacle. And I think it's really important, it's not just like, just me, with the Holy Spirit inside me. It's, just, it's not about just me. I love that that, that scripture was so specific about declaring that it's us together. Did you know that, like, I was talking to Pete Treble, he's a, he's a lovely guitarist, but he's total brain like a planet um, scientist guy, and he was telling me about how particles, which are kind of the smallest things that we know exist, is this right? If I'm not right, forgive me. Um, but particles are made of like neutrons, electrons, and protons, and they're like, hi. Homo neutron, electron, proton. And what happens is, as, as particles get together, they go, hi, how are you doing? They're like, yeah, I'm okay, I'm a particle. I'm really small. That's okay, so am I. And as they get together, they become, <laughs> it's very scientific, they become atoms. Atoms are pretty small as well. We thought atoms were the smallest thing for a while, but um, I think way, way back, I think they probably thought that a stone was the smallest. It's not. It's atoms. So um, atoms, small thing. And as they kind of go, oh, hey, how are you doing? And they get together, they become molecules. Uh-huh. And there's molecules like, hey, nice hairdo. And they do that stuff. They get together, they become cells. And as cells get together, they become organs and tissues and systems. And as they join together and start doing stuff, they become people. How nuts is that? How nuts is that? And did you know that every, in, every, in every moment and every, every time they, those got together, so when particles became atoms, I can tell them about my depth here, when, as particles become atoms, atoms aren't just made up of lots of particles. There's loads of particles, oh, let's call ourselves an atom. The joining together of those particles creates new properties. So when they join together, something new happens. So you have everything that's to do with particles in an atom, plus some other stuff. And the same, when atoms become molecules, you've got everything that makes up an atom, then plus a new thing that's happening. Isn't that cool? And it, that goes on, it goes on. As, you, as, as the, the more connections that are made, the more relationship there is. And in every layer, there's a deeper level of complexity, there's a deeper level of diversity, but also there's a deeper level of order that results in us being able to do things like this. Isn't that incredible? Um, did you know that when a cell reproduces itself, so a little cell going, I am so awesome, I'm going to make more of me. 
That's cancer. How nuts is that of a picture for us as the family of God? When someone sits and goes, I'm just, now I'm just going to make it all about me. I'm so awesome. That's actually the thing that kills the person and that kills the body. Did you know that when we sing together in church, that our heartbeats align? Did you know that? That when we sing a song together, you can be in a, you can be in a, f- a football ground with tens of thousands of people and you sing long enough, the same thing, your heartbeats align. It's the way that you breathe and the intonation of everything aligns. Isn't that beautiful? We are meant to be one. This idea of us being the tabernacle, it's, it's a corporate thing. It's a together thing. It's a together thing. Um, okay, I'm going to finish pretty soon. Is that okay? Are we all okay? Final thread? Sure you're okay? Okay. I want us to look at Mary Bethany really, really quickly. So Mary Bethany, remember who she is? She's the, the lady with the jar. Um, she, I think, perfectly expresses this kind of motion towards the kingdom. And it says, uh, you know, it says in Matthew, it says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking a beautiful pearl, who then, uh, when he had found one pearl of great price, he went and sold everything that he had and bought it. Mary Bethany shows us, I think, a couple of things. She shows us, you know, in that moment where she comes to Jesus in that space, regardless of what other people might think or say, she came and she smashed that jar of perfume. She anointed his feet. She dried it with her hair. She came and abandoned herself in worship. She saw Jesus for who he really is. And she gave up everything just to worship him. The other thing that she did was that she sat in the disciples' seat. So she made a choice you know, with Mary and Martha. Mary is busying around the house, but Mary is like, I'm going to sit here because I want to learn from you and I want to learn how to walk like you. I want to learn how to be like you. That's what a disciple does. It doesn't just learn stuff. It's actually, I want to live the way that you live. I want to be uh, like you. Um, and I feel like this, that is... Uh, Again, the heart of worship is that she learnt in, in that place of being on her knees to recognise Jesus for who he is. And, and, and as she sat at his feet, um, she learnt uh, who she is in him. And the fruit of that is spectacular. When you think about um, when her brother Lazarus dies, um, Martha comes to him and, and they both say the same thing. Though. They say, if you'd have been here, our brother wouldn't have died. And what's really, really interesting is this is that Martha approaches the whole thing with a bit of a yes, yes, no. Because he, he's, he's like, you know, do you believe that I am who I say I am? He's like, yeah, yeah, you're, you're totally the Messiah. You're the one we've been waiting for. Yeah, I totally believe that. Yeah. It's like, do you believe that, you know, I'm the resurrection and the life? And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because on, on, on the last, you know, in the end days, everyone's going to kind of go, boop, you know, and come back to life. And that's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. And she's, she's like, yeah. And she gets, she gets this. She gets the, the box, she gets the frame, she gets the idea, she gets the teaching that the Messiah will come and that the dead will be raised. Isn't that brilliant? Isn't that awesome? But when Jesus then goes, okay, cool, move the stone away. She's like, no, 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 he stinketh. No, he's, he's, gonna, he's been in there four days, he's going to smell bad. And you see they revealed actually her expectation. So even though she's like, yeah, totally, you're the Messiah. Yeah, 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 yeah. There'll be the resurrection in the last days. 
when it comes to let's roll the stone, stone away and call out your brother, she's like, no. Can you see what's going on there? Whereas with Mary, when you see somebody who has sat his feet and who has worshipped him and, and seen him for who he is, that knows who he is, the person of Jesus, who has made that choice that I want to I listen to you, I want to learn from you, I want to walk like you. When it comes to her encounter with Jesus, she weeps. And he sees her heart of intercession and he sees what's going on in, in her heart. And he weeps. And he goes to the tomb and says, Lazarus, come forth. Apparently, he had to say Lazarus because if he just had come forth, everybody would have come out dancing. But um, you know, that's, I think that's a really, that's a really um, I think this is how we approach, this is our posture uh, towards uh, the kingdom of God is that we, we get to be in a space where we see him for who he is and we see our, who we are in him. And there's resurrection power that comes out of the back of that. Um, I think there's so much more to say, but I don't want to keep you guys any longer, really. Um, I just want to finish by saying this, that um, it's all about Jesus. It's all about living this life in a way that just puts him in a place where we get to hang out with him, where we get to um, encounter him. Um, I, think, I think there's two things. I think One, it's about having a Jesus lens in everything that we do. If we just leave Jesus for Sundays, no wonder we get stressed about stuff in the week. You know, I think it's, we need to have the kind of lens that is uh, that we know that every good, every good thing that we have comes from Him. Every every painful, tragic experience we go through with Him. You know, every victory that we, enca- we that we that we have that we give the glory back to Him. You know, everything is about him. Everything is about him. That we have a whole lens that allows him to be our everything. Um, but the second is this: it, it's it's not about doing more stuff. It's not. Don't read your Bible more. Don't worship more. Don't come to church more. It's a lie. Doing more stuff is not going to help you. It's just like having a more elaborate box. If you want to really step into being a citizen of God's kingdom, it's about our heart. It's about the state of our heart. And why, why would anyone have gone to the, the tabernacle if, if God's Shekinah, his dwelling presence, wasn't on the mercy seat? Why would they bother if he just wasn't there? Why would anybody bother to find their way back to God coming to this church if we weren't full of his Holy Spirit? Full of his presence. His presence is nuts. It's dangerous. So don't just do more stuff. I, I, I live with Lucy, my wife. I live in the house with her. I share a toilet. Um, not at the same time. Um, but I, you know, we share a bathroom. We, we, I sleep in the same bed as her every night. Uh, I live and eat in the same space as her. And it's frightening the amount of times I'm like, babe, I miss you. 
I miss you. Let's go out tonight. Let's get a babysitter and go and get a meal and just have some contact and some conversation. You know? So much of our church experience is like that. Where we're doing all the stuff, we're going to church, we're singing the songs, we're reading the Bible, we're praying and we're saying stuff and blah, 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 blah. But I, I, I do that sometimes. I'm like, Jesus, I just miss you. I just miss you. And the only thing that makes a difference is, my, is, is the posture that I have. That when I come to worship, rather than just kind of singing and going, yeah, that's nice. Oh, I don't like this one. Or, mm, you know, bands sound good today. It's when I lean in and I push in. I'm like, God, I'm hungry for you. Show me something about who you are today. So don't just do more stuff. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you have a, a heart transformation that positions you towards him, towards who he is. Because we know the difference, don't we? We know what it feels like when we just own the donuts rather than possessing them and experience that life and freedom and connection. There's no shortcuts. Um, we're going to finish in just a minute um, but why don't we just take a pause um, so much I don't understand about this stuff and it's only right that I don't because he's bigger than us um, but I know that nothing else makes a difference I know that nothing else gives me purpose the way that Jesus does there's no one I'd rather have next to me in the middle of a crisis than Jesus. In the hardest seasons of my life, I find myself coming out the other side of them with gratitude because I got to know him better. as the one who held me and sustained me, who was everything that I needed. I'd love us to make that declaration tonight that we're not just going to do more stuff. But we're going to choose to eat the donut. Choosing everything that we do to pursue Christ. That connection, the relationship. Even in the stuff where we're, we're lost. His hand is there. In this age, his hand isn't going to come with a decisive move that just puts everything right. It's not. But what he does every time is he comes and stands alongside us. The cross is the empathy of God. He would come and stand alongside us in our mess, in our pain, in our sin. And he holds us in that place in order that he can walk us out of it. Walk us through it. That's the kingdom of God.
in our age, in our time. They're more than we can ask or imagine through the storm, through the pain. And when all hope is gone, one word from him is like a candle in the dark. Because he's our king. And he has won. And he has made a way. Yeah, Jesus, we pray that you will come by your Holy Spirit. Lord, and as we as we go from this place, let our life be imbued by you. That we would truly know what it is to be your tabernacle. your dwelling presence within us yes as individuals but more so as your family, the church imagine as those atoms became molecules and cells and fibers and systems that became people and that in every moment that something new happened. Imagine what would happen if even just the people in this room connected in a way that truly became the church of Jesus Christ. Imagine all the new stuff that would come. Imagine all the mystery of the kingdom of heaven that would be unleashed in this place, on this earth, when his church become one. Psalm 144 talks about what happens when heaven comes down. And it's not just a fuzzy feeling. It's not more hands up in worship. It's lives transformed. It's communities transformed. No more cries of fear in the streets. Jesus, that's what we're after. that our lives, that our homes, that our streets, that our communities, that this city would be transformed because of the dwelling presence of God in his church. That your kingdom would be established. That your kingdom would come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So grow a hunger in us tonight. Let's not settle for the packaging We hold on to you, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.